Not at the pulpit yet, because I've got to run from the back to the front. There I am. All right. Um, we are continuing on in our look here at Truth for Living, um, looking at the subject of these uh, cate- catechism questions that we've been going over. And again, this is in line with what the kids have been learning. I know that we uh, took a break last um, week from the from that study and just spent some time praying. As uh, I was out of town, it's good to be back. And so if you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we're going to go ahead and review the first question that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And then we're going to spend some time looking into the question, question number two. So question one is behind us. Moving on to question two. So question one was, what is the Bible? Um, and again, we, we talked about why this is the place where we begin, why we begin our, our looking at or understanding of doctrine with the Word of God, because the Word of God is the foundation for everything else. So what is the Bible? The Bible is the only inspired, written Word of God. It is above all other books in wisdom, power, and authority. And so we spent some time talking about what inspiration means, how it means that which is breathed out by God, how it is the only book given to us. There are lots of other books out there, uh, helpful books at times, but this is the only book that is inspired. It's also the only book that provides the wisdom of God, the power of God, and then it's the only book that has the authority of God, the only book from which we are to um, order our lives and live by what it says. <coughs> Excuse me. The passage we looked uh, at for this was 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so what we're actually going to sort of do is, is tie in the last point of that, um, that passage, the word that is at work in us believers, and talk about how that works or how does the word work within us. And I think more particularly, what is necessary for us to be able to have the word working within us. Which brings us to question number two. How can we know that the Bible really is the true word of God? So I think this is an important question for us to answer. If, if the foundation of what we believe is based upon our contention that the word of God, that the Bible is the word of God, it's inspired by him, well, how do we know that? What basis do we have for making that statement? How can we know that the Bible is truly the Word of God. Now, there are different approaches we can take to answering this question. Um, we can look at the external elements or the, or the certain things that define the Bible and, and see certain facts externally about the Bible that, that would commend it to us as the Word of God. So it's written over a period of thousands of years. It has dozens of authors. And that forms a unified whole. Um, there's no other work of human writing that exists that has that type, of, um, that type of cohesive wholeness to it that's been written by different authors at different places in, in history in different nations um, spanning all this that fits together as a cohesive whole. 
And so we can look at that and we can say, well, that objectively is something that points us to the fact that, that there's something different about the Bible than all other books. Uh, we can talk about uh, just how the Bible has impacted history in general. So there's, there's no other book. Um, I think up until the last several years, it was still the best-selling published book in the world. Um, I think, unfortunately, that has been, uh, it's been overtaken in recent years. I'm not exactly sure about that, but that's what I had read. Um, it has been looked to as the basis for nations as, as they build their moral laws and, and, and the, 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 the moral law of, the, of God's Word becomes a foundation for legal systems. Uh, we can see how the Bible has affected even the history of this nation. And, and so we can look at the effect that the Bible has had on the, wor- on the world, and we can say, well, that's also something that points to uh, the veracity of this claim that the Bible is truly the Word of God. Uh, we can also look, and this is something that I like to talk about probably a lot more than people care to talk about, but we can look at the fact that the Bible has been copied more than any other document in human existence. Um, this is what we talk about manuscripts, and that they're, you know, if we look at some of the great works Um, that have been done throughout history. So if you look at the Iliad, we look at the Odyssey, we look at some of the things that Plato wrote, Um, not not the the, the dough that you play with, but the philosopher, all right? Plato, not Plato. But, you know, we can look at those things, and there are, you know, some of them, a few hundred copies. Um, But when we look at the copies of the New Testament and also the Old Testament, I mean, we're talking thousands of, of copies. I mean, it's not even close the amount of documents that are available to us. Um, I'm sorry, copies, manuscripts that are available to us. So that's another thing that points to the fact that there's just something tangibly different about the Word of God. Now, those are all strong arguments. Those are all objective things that we can look at and see and say, well, this is the Word of God. But that's not the primary foundation for why we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. And if that is the only reason you're looking to God's Word and believing that God's Word is true, then you're missing the very thing that God Himself has given us to know that His Word is true. So how can we know that the Bible really is the true Word of God? And here's the answer that we have. The Spirit of God helps us know that the Bible is true, and that it is the Word of God. Unless we are convinced by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that the Bible is true, and that it is indeed the Word of God, every other foundation, while helpful, while supplemental, does not truly provide us for what we need to understand, to live by, to found our lives on God's Word. So a couple things, or the passage that goes along with this, and we're going to spend some time working our way through this passage in particular. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So, Here Paul is making a statement to the church at Corinth. He is describing what it means to be able to know God's word, what it is that's necessary for us 
um, to know God's Word, and it is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the very thing that provides for us confidence in God's Word. Apart from the Spirit of God working within us and giving us this confidence, it is impossible to have confidence in the Word of God. Apart from the Spirit working in our hearts, we cannot know the Word of God. Now, you say, is that true? Yes, it is, and we'll bear it out in Scripture. So I want to talk about the Spirit, and particularly drawing from this passage, and how the Word um, and the Spirit are connected together for us to understand that it's God's Word. Four things in particular about uh, the Spirit of God. The first is that the Spirit is received. The Spirit is received. Notice again what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received, not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit is received. So what this means is that it's not something we have naturally in us. We cannot come to God's Word and expect to by ourselves, in our power, in our strength, depending on our rational abilities, uh, be able to come to correct conclusions about God's Word. If we don't have the Spirit, if we haven't received the Spirit, then we're not going to be able to understand God's Word. That's clearly what Paul is saying here. We have received the Spirit, which, which means that something has to fundamentally alter who we are for us to understand God's Word. And this is what we call the new birth. And, and how are we born in the new birth? Who, what is the instrument that God uses to bring about the new birth? It is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us this new birth. He is the one that, that we have received by gifting from God Himself. So what this should do is it should set us on understanding that when we come to God's Word, when we open it up, we need spiritual insight from the Holy Spirit. That we can't expect ourselves to come to God's Word and to figure it out on our own. I think this is, you know, I'll hear people talk about, oh, the Bible's so hard to understand. I, I, don't, I don't understand how these things are, are making sense. And, and I think partly why that is, is some people come to the Word of God and they don't have the Spirit at all. But even for believers, we can come to the Word of God and not depend upon the Spirit. We can look to ourselves. We can say, I need to figure this out without stopping and asking ourselves and praying to God that He would give us the Spirit to understand His Word. I wonder, when you open your Bibles, when you spend time in reading, do you pray that God would provide the Spirit? Jesus told His disciples that the Spirit was going to be necessary even for them. John 14, 6, he says, 14, 16, I'm sorry, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, what's interesting here, so if, if we can back up a little bit and talk about something that we talked briefly about Sunday evening. We were talking about Christ's words and how his words were tangibly different than the teachers of that day. He spoke as one having what? Authority, not as one of the scribes or the Pharisees. And we talked about how he was able to do that. Yes, he was God, and there were times where he would make that abundantly clear when he would say, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, rather than saying, thus saith the Lord, because he was the Lord. But we also know that his public ministry did not begin until he was baptized. And at his baptism, who descended upon him? The Holy Spirit. So now, now follow, follow the connection here. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. Jesus begins his public ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we have Peter, a disciple, who after all other thousands of disciples have gone away because the gravy train has ended, right? he turns to the disciples and he says, will you also go away and notice what Peter says? Where else can we go? You're the one who has the words of life. So this is great from the disciples' perspective. They now get to spend 24-7, 365, spending time with the person who has the words of life, right? The Spirit has opened their eyes to this as Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, uh, empowered by the Spirit, gives the Word of God. But once we get to where we are here in John, John, or Jesus is, John is recounting how Jesus is telling the disciples, you know what, I'm going away. I'm going to the cross, but even after I raise from the dead, I'm still not going to remain with you forever. I'm going back to the Father. And so that would have caused turmoil in the disciples' lives. I mean, here's the one who has the words of life, and he's going away. How can they have hope? And this is where Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to ask the Father, and he is going to give you, and notice what he says here, another helper. Who's the first helper? Jesus. Jesus is the first helper, and he is saying, I'm going to give you something so that you're not alone, the Spirit of God who will be with you forever. And this is so important for us to recognize because, you know, I think sometimes we all would probably say, wouldn't it have been, been great to sit at Jesus' feet when he gave the Sermon on the Mount? Or, or wouldn't it be great to, to have been there when he, he's with the disciples and teaching them? I and mean, I, I would love to have experienced that. But Jesus is saying, look, you can still experience that because my word continues to remain with you because you have the Spirit that the Father is sending in my name. Now, I think it's important to note here that this is a sovereign gift of the Father. The, the Father sovereignly gives the Spirit to His people. We cannot compel the Spirit. In fact, Jesus makes this point in John chapter 3, verse 8, when He's talking to Nicodemus about the new birth. And He says, The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who was born in the Spirit. So again, I think two things we can draw from this fact that the Spirit is received is, first of all, confidence in, knowledge of, and understanding of the Scriptures is not something that can be naturally derived. You can spend years studying God's Word. You can go to Bible college. You can go to seminary. You can get advanced degrees. You can pursue the Word of God your entire life, but if you don't have the Spirit, it's not going to make sense. And in fact, those who do that type of thing, they end up making a shipwreck of their faith and also leading astray others 
as they've done that. And then I think the second thing that we need to understand is what should we expect of the world that doesn't have the Spirit? Should we expect them to accept our beliefs about the Word of God? No. We cannot expect those who have not received the Spirit to acknowledge that the Bible is really true. That is the Word of God. So, in that sense then, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, when I'm speaking about the scriptures, should I start with that first stuff we talked about that is written over thousands of years by a bunch of different authors, that it's got more copies than any other book, that, it's, that it has impacted the world in a way that no other book has? Is, is that where I begin? I begin on my knees understanding that the only way someone is going to accept the gospel and the truth of God's word is if the Spirit reveals it to them. And so the Spirit must be received. But then secondly, we see that the Spirit is different. Again, look at what's said in 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received, all right, so it's something that received. Notice what he says, not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. So we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit is different. Which means that if we have the Spirit and the world doesn't, then that means that who else is going to be different? We are. And in fact, I think there's a question that, that we need to ask ourselves because Paul makes the statement, we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that's from God. What is the spirit of the world like? Paul answers that for us in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, You were, what? Dead in trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like who? The rest of mankind. So what is the spirit of the world like? Well, the spirit of the world is a spirit of, not of life, but of what? Death, spiritual death. The spirit of the, of the world is one of sinful trespasses. What caused our death? Trespasses and sins. And the spirit of the world tells us to indulge in these things. That's what Paul talks about. This is something that we once walked in. That we followed the course of this world. Now I think it's important to note what, what Paul says here. He says something that is a little audacious. He says that the world is following the prince of the power of the air. Notice, this is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan, the devil. And so what Paul is saying is those who do not have the spirit of God, they are literally being guided by the spirit of the devil. Now, it's not speaking of a personal possession in the way that we think of, you know, demon possession and different things like that. 
but instead it is a blinding of the eyes and a guiding towards a particular course of life. The the spirit of the devil, the direction in which he guides our lives, he guides us then into fleshly passions. Notice what he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, pursuing our own desires, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And as we lived in the spirit of the world, it brings about wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. So there's such a contrast between the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world. Now, it's interesting here because the spirit is given to reveal God's word to us, to show us what God has said, what God has revealed about himself. And then in light of that, that then becomes the impacting point in our lives that makes us act different than the world. And so if, if you're living the Christian life and, and you're focusing on the Spirit of God, and yet your life is just like what Paul describes here in Ephesians chapter 2, you don't have a different spirit. You know, my fear is that many times, and particularly in, in certain movements that are formed around a focus on the Holy Spirit, there is indulgence in, in selfishness. There is a pursuit of of um, wealth and health that focuses on yourself. And we need to be very careful because if the way in which we live our lives is indicative of fulfilling worldly pleasure and focusing on ourselves, then we are no different than the world around us. And Paul is saying that as we come to God's word, the spirit of God that is in us is different than the world. There's one other thing that Paul points out in the book of Romans that I think is important for us to recognize about what's different between the spirit of this world and the spirit of God. And I think it's one thing that we don't really think about that often. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And then notice he talks about another difference. He says, you did not receive... There's Really only two types of spirits out there. There's the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. What does the spirit of the world guide people into? Notice what he says. We did not receive the spirit of slavery. And what does that slavery bring to us? To fall back into fear. But you've received by the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father. You think this world is scared? I think so. I think it's evident in the way our media covers things. It's all about fear. You know, if, if, we, if, if the media were to just only do positive stories and never talk about the things that are wrong in the world, nobody would watch it. They want to get ratings. The world is afraid. There is a fear that grips this world as they continue in the spirit of this world. But we have the truth of God given to us in His Word. We know where this world is headed, and we know 
to whom this world belongs, and we know how this world will end and what will be the fate of those who are in our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no fear in that. We are not sons of disobedience or children of wrath anymore. Notice what Paul says. We who have the Spirit of God, what do we cry out to the Father? We cry out, Abba, Father. And so the Spirit is different in that fact that we don't have to fear. There's a lot of fearful stuff in the world today. And we can fear how are we going to pay for the rise in gases and and gas prices, the rise in gases, the rise in gas gas prices. How how are we going to deal with supply chain issues? Look at the stock market. It keeps to, seems like every day it's down another two or three hundred points. How am I going to provide for my family in the years ahead? Fear. We have God's word that shows us and tells us all that we need. And so God's word drives away fear. So the spirit we've received, the spirit is received, the spirit is different. Thirdly, the spirit imparts understanding. And again, notice what Paul says in our verse. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. For what purpose? Why has God given us his spirit? So that we might understand. Understanding here has two ideas. It refers to knowledge or knowing the legitimacy or truthfulness of a thing. So it implies a mental assent to a fact, an agreement that something is true. So, for instance, I am wearing a black shirt, all right? Do you agree with that? Yes, all right? It's something, it's a fact that you can assent to. But This idea of understanding goes beyond just the idea of making a mental assent or saying that something is true. It's also living in light of that truth. That's where understanding comes into play. You know, for instance, I can study the manual that's given out to drivers in Pennsylvania as far as what the laws are about driving in the state of Pennsylvania. And and it will tell me that when I come to an octagonal or octagonal 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 when i come to an octagonal sign that's red and says stop what am i supposed to do stop all right i can assent to that truth but understanding is shown and when i come to a sign what do i actually do stop and this is this is how we are able to live the christian life Because the Spirit imparts that understanding. He shows us not only that what is written in God's Word is true, but then He also provides with it the wisdom and understanding to live that truth, to live in light of that truth. And final aspect of the Spirit's ministry is He guides us into the Gospel. All of this other stuff, Everything that we've seen before, that we've received the Spirit, that the Spirit's different, that He imparts understanding, that's all nice and good, but what is the primary focus of that understanding? And notice what Paul says here. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand what? Things freely given us by God. 
Now, here's the question. What does he mean? What are the things freely given to us by God? That, as you're reading this, that should be one of the questions that pops up in your mind. Well, what is he talking about? And we can conjecture all sorts of different things. Is it the gospel? Is it the Bible? Is it, I mean, we can go on and on and on. Is it God's revelation? Is it the gift of life? What, what is it? So every blessing in the spiritual realm, all right? Um, Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1. But when we're, when we're studying a passage and we want to know what that passage is referring to, we need to look at that passage in its context. So is there any clue earlier on or later on in the passage that lets us know what it is that God has freely given us? And we actually do know that in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 10. Paul says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So Paul now says the thing that has been given to us, the thing that we have that is glorious, it goes back before the world began. And it was decreed by God for our benefit, for our glory. Now notice, the world who doesn't have the Spirit of God, do they understand this? No. In fact, he says none. And he talks about the best of the best, the rulers of this age understood this. Because if they had, they would not have crucified who? The Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has, what? Prepared for those who love Him. So what has God prepared for us? What is the thing that God is freely giving to us through the Spirit, that which has been prepared since before time began? Things, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of of God. What is it? Well, it is the fact of what if if the rulers of this present age had understood who 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 was, they wouldn't have killed him. Who Paul here calls the Lord of what? Glory. What is the thing freely given to us by the Father? It is Christ. And particularly, Paul tells us here that this is revealed to us. We're able to know what God has prepared for us through who? The Spirit. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, or that we would have this understanding imparted to us what is it that that paul says that we would have if we're rooted and grounded in love what is it that he wants us to have strength to comprehend now notice how he says we need strength to comprehend it that that means that it's going to be something that is beyond our natural abilities to understand we need to be strengthened to understand it what is it that we with all the saints may know what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth. And then he says something that is remarkable. To know 
the love of Christ, and I'm going to change, it says that surpasses knowledge, I'm going to change that to say to know the love of Christ which is unknowable. You understand what Paul is saying here? He's saying that what God has prepared for his people is that they would know something that they could not know any other way but through the Spirit of God. So that we, he goes even further, that we who are finite beings created in God's image, that we would be filled with what? How much of the fullness of God? All the fullness of God. The Spirit is the one who enables us to be strong enough to know the unknowable, to be filled with God's fullness. This knowledge of the unknowable comes only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Those who continue to follow the spirit of this world, they only know what it is to be a son of disobedience, to be a child of wrath. And for them... The hope of the, of the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ, the, the point of the scriptures, means nothing. Maybe they'll read it because it's an influential book, but it's just words on a page. But for us, who like Peter have had our eyes opened, the word of God is the word of life. Where else are we to go? So how should we respond to this? Well, I've mentioned it already. Pray that the Spirit would open the eyes of those blinded to the truth of God's Word so that they would see the glorious light of the Gospel, that they could, co- they could comprehend and know the unknowable love of Christ. And then, for us, as we come to God's Word, pray that the Spirit would Open our eyes more to God's word, that we would be able to understand it. And finally, respond with humility in our ever-growing understanding of the Bible. What you know of God's word, what you understand of God's word, you don't know or understand because you were somehow clever enough to figure it out. What you know and understand of God's word, you know because the Spirit has opened your eyes. Which means then that we should approach God's word with utmost humility. That we didn't figure these things out. The spirit of God revealed them to us. And that means that if we're talking with someone who maybe hasn't grown or doesn't know or isn't understanding of what we understand, our response should not be one of derision and what's wrong with you, you know, you you terrible, ignorant Christian. No. We've been extended grace, so what must we do to others? Extend grace to them. Calling them to know better the word of God. Teaching them as God has equipped us. That's certainly a part of it. But approaching our knowledge with the understanding that all that I know, all that you know, all that we know, is a result of the Spirit's work within us. So, question two. How can we know that the Bible is really the true word of God? And the answer is the Spirit of God helps us know that the Bible is true and that it is the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.12, we have not received the spirit of this world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth we find in it. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your spirit so that we can know the things given to us by your abundant grace. Lord, may we ever depend upon the Holy Spirit as we approach your word. Thank you for having the spirit open our hearts and and bringing the word to us so that we can know the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of your love, to know the unknowable love of Christ. Father, may we grow in dependence upon your Spirit as we come to your Word daily. And Father, may you, through your sovereign love and grace, open the eyes of those who continue to follow the Spirit of this world, that they would see the light of the glorious gospel in the face of Jesus Christ as the Spirit takes away the blinders, and opens the gospel to them. Father, we love you. We thank you for all we have in Christ. And we pray these things in his name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great rest of your week.